0: Welcome to Leadership Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about what it means to lead, why their leadership identities matter, and how they leverage their leadership identities for career and business success. Some of these interviews were recorded by the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. For this first episode of the NBA podcast, you'll be introduced to leadership with the key concept being how leadership differs from something you've probably all been doing so far in your careers, management.
1: Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Ngayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, <laughs> Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabal and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba.
0: From a library assistant at the Dolby-Wambo Public Library to roles at the Toowoomba Regional Council Library and the Brisbane City Council, Vicki MacDonald has held senior roles in public, academic and research libraries across Australia. She was appointed the State Librarian and the Chief Executive Officer of the State Library of Queensland in 2016. Under her leadership, the State Library of Queensland is now at the forefront of digital innovation, but also cultural innovation through the active promotion of Indigenous languages. As an active member of the State Library of Queensland's Indigenous Advisory Group and a student speaker of the Aboriginal language of Dolby, where she grew up, Vicky follows the library's vision and endeavours with a passion. Vicky also sits on the boards of the Australian Library and Information Association and the International Federation of Library Associations and Institutions, of which she served as president for a term ending in 2018. I'm very pleased and honoured to welcome the CEO of our State Library to the show. Thanks for talking to us about leadership and welcome, Vicky McDonald.
2: Hi, Daniel. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Vicky, I mentioned a little bit there about your background. I wonder, can you go into a little bit more depth about how you got to your current role and where you started?
2: Uh, Of course. Um, So I guess one of the things that is important about my career is I've always worked in libraries. So as you mentioned, uh, my first first role was as a library assistant at the Dolby Wombo Public Library and so for the last 40 years or so I've worked across public academic and state libraries and I think I've been really fortunate um, and I know from talking to other people one of the things that stood out through my career is I've always loved my job. I've always been motivated to get up and go to work every day and been excited about the work that I do and with my colleagues and um and I think also um Across that span of time and working across um, both public, academic and state libraries, I've just had an opportunity to have a lot of diversity in my experience. And I think that that actually enables me to do my, my role now quite differently to if I hadn't had that opportunity. And I actually landed at State Library when I, um, I took up the opportunity in 2001 to do a secondment from the Brisbane City Council. Um, I initially came over for three months to work on a policy document for State Library of Queensland and, um, and ended up staying seven years. Um, I went away for seven years and then I came back, as you mentioned, in 2016 to the State Library of Queensland as, as a State Librarian and CEO. So I think, um, you know, I, as I said, I've been really unfortunate. I've had a lot of experience in a lot of different situations, but also had the opportunity to work in small and large organisations.
0: What is it that you love about libraries?
2: Um, Well, I think the important thing is you're working with other people and you're always working with people who are really passionate and committed to what they're doing, but you also know that you're making a difference for the community that you serve. So for me at the moment, it's the community of Queensland. Um, So under the Libraries Act, that's our responsibility to deliver library services to Queenslanders to document the history of Queensland. And I know that uh, together with the team here, we're doing that very well. Um, I think, and we're, but we're also striving to improve what we do constantly. And, uh, and I think that's also what excites us about the work that we do, that we're continuously innovating and thinking about how we can do things differently and also engage with the community as well.
0: How have the other roles that you mentioned, those uh, other leadership roles, affected how you do your job now as the CEO of the State Library?
2: Well, I think, as I said, you know, I've worked in small and large organisations. So I did work at, at Brisbane City Council for a number of years, um, which, as you would know, is the largest local government authority in probably the Southern Hemisphere. So it's very different working at the Brisbane City Council so to when I worked at the Toowoomba Council. And you actually have access to so many people who have specialisations and skills and things like that. And when I was at um, Brisbane, I was actually the asset owner of their network of public libraries. So I had a lot of opportunity to be involved in thinking about the um, services that we were going to deliver across Brisbane, their building program and, and how we deliver libraries. And then also like at State Library of New South Wales, you know, the premier collection in this nation. Uh, the first library of Australia and has huge collections. So that opportunity to work with those collections, I learned a lot from. But then I also worked at QUT and uh, and working in such a large university exposes you to a lot of different opportunities and thinking as well. So I think coming then coming to this library, I bring all of those different experiences to the role that I'm in now.
0: Um, look, I want to take what you were saying there about that varied um, uh, the the varied career and and. The, the things that you can learn from having different leadership roles, especially where those leadership roles are not always at the top, but they're in the middle, you have a small team of two or three, and then what you, how do you step that up to having a bigger team and then being the CEO? Is it a completely different job or, or are you bringing things that you've learned along the way to that top job?
2: Um, that's a really good question. I think the thing about State Library of Queensland is we're a relatively small organisation, so around 280 FTE, but we also have a lot of responsibilities and, and accountabilities. And I find that um, we need to make a lot of decisions like any organisation around our finances, our asset management, our risk management, those sorts of things in addition to our service delivery. And I often reflect that the experience that I had in other organisations actually gives me good background to be involved in leading some of those discussions. So, you know, we recently reviewed our risk profile. And so the experience that I've had at some of the larger organisations actually enabled us to approach that in a different way and bring that to the table in our discussions. So I think, particularly when you're in a smaller organisation, you're very reliant on individuals and, and those individuals having lots of skills. So I think if lots of different people can come to the table with a varied experience that actually assists in your decision making and looking at the different options that you have available.
0: So why, why then is uh, your leadership important to a business?
2: Well, I guess, as I said, you know, you are the leader um, and I think very much in this organisation, I'm the figurehead of the organisation and who people will be thinking about when they're thinking about the State Library of Queensland. My role is very much around, um, I guess, providing clarity to the organisation on what our role is, um, how we're going to deliver on our Libraries Act and ensuring that everyone is focused on that. So, I do have a lot of discussions with my teams um, in meetings and also with individuals around our strategy, our vision, and how each of us actually contributes to that achievement of that vision. And um, I guess one of the things about me is I love strategic planning. So um, I have lots of conversations with people around the vision and tying things back to the vision, but also making it real so that people can see how the work that they do uh, enables us to deliver on that vision. And I think it's also about looking for the opportunities and looking for new ways to engage with other stakeholders as well.
0: You're a very um, keen celebrator. You're a very keen celebrator of Indigenous um, Australia and Indigenous language. You're learning to speak the Indigenous language of the area where you've come from, Dolby. Has your leadership played a part in guiding that for the library in terms of a vision, a strategy?
2: Well, the State Library of Queensland really embarked on um, Indigenous knowledge and culture and and preserving that back in 2001. Um, And we developed a policy document at that time, which is really why I was seconded from the Brisbane City Council. And in that document, we made a commitment to develop um, Indigenous knowledge centres throughout the state. And our state librarian at the time had a really strong commitment to Indigenous knowledge and culture. So she actually provided that leadership. And it was also very much aligned to government priorities and the Minister for the Arts um, objectives at the time. So the organisation since 2001 has um, spent a lot of um, effort and resources to develop our expertise and knowledge. And I think it has always been part of this organisation's role. But since I returned to the State Library in 2016, I've been really focused on ensuring that we continue that work and that we continue to make a commitment to sharing that with Queenslanders and, I guess, Australians. So, we've had a lot of focus on Indigenous knowledge and culture and history in our exhibitions and events programs, um, and also, as you mentioned, the Indigenous Languages Program. We've had that expertise for over a decade, but really um, what we've been focused on, particularly over the last few years, is showcasing our expertise and knowledge uh, through exhibitions and events, and also assisting Indigenous communities to revitalise the languages in their communities as well. So we're really privileged to have um, some expert staff on our team who enable us to do that. And I think, as you said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to speak Baragam, and, and I think that's a really important message as well. So when we have a, an event at the State Library of Queensland, I always do the welcome in the language of Baragam. And I think that's also part of other Queenslanders and other Australians understanding the importance of language and the importance of revitalising that language. And um, and I think that gives people something to think about as well as to the the role that language plays in our culture.
0: I think, Vicky, that to me it seems like a, such a wonderful thing that you're learning that language and, and championing um, the Indigenous culture. But it's not something that you have to do as part of your role. Um, it's something that you've chosen to do Probably in your own time, I imagine. What is the difference between coming to work and doing a good job um, as a leader and then, but living um, the vision that you talk about at work um, in a public setting as a leader?
2: Well, I guess when you're the leader of an organisation like State Library of Queensland, you're always visible. And I think as a leader, you have to be conscious that people are observing you all the time. So I know that the staff will be observing um, how I react to things Um, that can be nonverbal, but also verbal and those sorts of things. And I think you're always, in a way, on duty. But I think you also bring um, to your work life your personal life as well and and how you're involved in the community. So how I started, um, I guess, being more involved in understanding and speaking the Baragam languages, I actually went to an Indigenous languages conference with our Indigenous languages coordinator and, and I was sitting there with him and I said, you know, I think we need to do more and I need to do more. Um, so, I, you know, I'd like to learn to speak and be able to do the welcome in, in language. So he, um, he worked with me and has helped me to identify different words and bring them into, um, into the conversation as well. So I guess it's, it's taking the lead from some of my team as well um, and seeking their advice as well.
0: How would you describe the difference between leadership and management?
2: I guess that always comes up. <laughs> um, and I think they're both important skills uh, for uh, particularly in a CEO position to have. And um, as I've said, I think leadership is really about setting the vision for the organization and and being able to take people with you. And in my case, the people who I'm actually sharing that vision with is quite diverse. It can be our library board, um, our executive leadership, our leadership team, our staff, but also our donors and, uh, and supporters. We really need to ensure that they understand what the library is about. And I think as a leader, you need to be a strong communicator, uh, both written and, uh, and oral as well, and, and be thinking about how you actually share that message as well. And I do spend a lot of my time, I guess, talking about what the library does and communicating with others. But I guess on the other side, the management is really about how you actually go about delivering that vision. And uh, in my role as a CEO and, and working within a government framework, there's a lot of lot to be aware of in relation to accountabilities, compliance, um, and reporting. And and I guess that's some of the management functions that we need to be have ticked off as well. And you need both the leadership and the management to be doing your role really well. So, uh, And the management has that focus on systems and process and and managing staff and things like that. Whereas the leadership, I think, is really giving that broad direction, the clarity, looking to the future and and thinking about where you're going next.
0: Can managers lead and can leaders also manage?
2: I think so, yeah. I think you need to be doing both. I, think, I don't think you can do them in isolation, uh, particularly when you're in, uh, at, at my level. Um, and I think everyone has a role in leading. It's just not the designated people leader. Uh, you know, I see lots of examples of staff at all levels across the organisation demonstrating leadership um, as
0: well. How do you can, you, can you give me some examples of how your staff in uh, middle management uh, exhibit that leading
2: so I, I guess in thinking about something that we're doing at the moment is we've just released a podcast called Dangerous Women, and um, uh, just over a year ago, one of our team members, and she's not in management, um, came up with this idea that um, of a way for how we could document Queensland's history, which is linked to our act and very much linked to the purpose of the organisation. And she pitched an idea for us to do some podcasts of, on Dangerous Women and successfully pitched it to our donors and got the funding through our donors. So she has come up with a whole idea. She has then uh, secured the funding and then also worked to deliver that product. So we went live with the podcast this week and already seeing that they're, um, they're meeting a need. It's, it's ranking in the top 20 in the Australian podcast this week already after just being released in month but really the idea that she came up with is really um, addressing a key objective in our strategic plan which is trusted uh, content but also having seeking diverse stories and sharing those stories so she's identified five women who tell a very unique um, perspective of Queensland's history but she's delivered it in a way that will make it accessible to new audiences Um, both in Queensland and beyond. So I think she's actually demonstrated some leadership in thinking about how we make our collections and content accessible in new and different ways um, that uh, makes people aware of Queensland's history. And some of these stories aren't well known, but also how we actually deliver on on our responsibilities under our strategic plan.
0: That's amazing. It's certainly something that I want to listen to now after hearing you describe that how has the state library and yourself as a leader created a culture in which that can happen
2: well i think it's well as i said we um we do have the different opportunities uh for people to come forward with ideas and i think it's all about giving things a go and being willing to support people to to do these things so we, you know we have many examples of that so i think it's it's um Thinking of outside of that as well, in different positions I've held, there's been a lot of change programs, and I've always been a big believer in pilots. You know, when, you, when you're when you introducing change, there can be some uncertainty and people, you know, cautious about doing things. So one of the things that I've really um, encouraged is to let's just do a pilot, see how it goes. Does it work? That sort of thing. Uh, we can we can do it for a little while. We can then do an evaluation. We can then make some changes and things like that. So I think we do encourage that sort of thinking and activity as well. But also our. Our whole strategic planning and business planning process involves staff at all levels. So they actually have the opportunity to have input into their branch plans and think about the things that they will deliver on to achieve our strategic objectives as well. So people at different levels of the organisation have that opportunity to have input into the sorts of activities that we do each year.
0: Everyone's got a buy-in. Everyone feels part of your organisation.
2: Yeah. So one of the things we did um, a couple of years ago is we reviewed our whole strategic plan and um, became very conscious when I first came back to the organisation in 2016, no one could really tell me what our vision was and what it meant. So I think if people don't know what you're about and they can't tell you what you're about, that's a signal that you need to do something. So we had a whole series of workshops around setting or developing a new vision for our organisation and staff at all levels were involved in those workshops to think about what we wanted to achieve as an organisation. So we've now, you know, developed a um, a vision that people can relate to, and they can relate their work to that vision as well. And that's the sorts of things that we have conversations about as well. So our vision is inspiring possibilities through knowledge stories and creativity. So I think everyone understands what that's about, and that came through workshops with staff.
1: Can I ask, Vicky? um, You often read about um, the difference between leading and managing, and and there's kind of catchphrases. Leaders try to get people to follow them. What do you think that concept means to you and how do you how do you do that? Well
2: I guess one of the things that I do is I talk about things a lot um, So each year I generally um, have a number of workshops with staff so we'd probably do two or three workshops a year where we talk about um, our performance over the previous quarter, how we performed against our measures, why it's important to achieve that how it aligns to our vision to the strategic priorities of the government, and, and what the success has been. And one of the questions I always ask people is, can you see how you actually fit into what we're doing? And, and the feedback that I had, you know, particularly when I did the first series of workshops is that people for the first time could see what their role was in an organisation and I think that's really important. If you're going to be coming to work every day, you need to understand why your work's important and why, um, what it actually delivers for people. And one of the things that I talk about in a lot of and particularly in my written communication is that we play an important role in delivering outstanding library services to Queenslanders and and talk about what that means as well. So I and I guess I'm a real believer in that the strategic plan needs to be a living document and it's not just something that you do um, get signed off by the board and send across to the premium cabinet and tuck it away in the in the bottom drawer you actually, it is a living document and people understand and, and how it influences. So bringing the conversations back to why we're doing things and how we need to do those things.
0: That's very strategic to have those sorts of meetings with your leaders and get them on board and then get everyone on board. But how do you create that strategy in the first place? What does it mean to think strategically, to, to then act strategically?
2: Um, so one of the examples I could probably give you is when I um, As I said, I came back to the organisation in 2016, and I'd been away from the State Library of Queensland for seven years, which was really good because it was actually a good gap in actually working here. And one of the things that I did is I met with every team across the organisation in their teams. And I went to the meeting and I said, I want you to uh, fill in the gap at the end of this sentence. If I was a state librarian and CEO, and that's all I said. And then I wrote down everything that they said. And then I took it back to them and I said, so this is what you've told me. And really what it identified was that there was a lot of work that we needed to do. We were a successful organisation, but what it really, um, those conversations showed to me is that we weren't cohesive. We weren't, there was a lack of clarity in what the organisation was about. We weren't collaborating and people didn't even didn't know each other across the organisation and didn't understand what each other did and the other thing that stood out to me is um, I just come from the State Library of New South Wales where there's a huge focus on the collections and which is really you know a key part of being a library and particularly when you're a state library it's the strength of what you do and in all those conversations that I had with staff and in all the time I'd been at that time I'd been back at the library for some months, or I guess a couple of months. no one had really talked about collections and so I you know I reviewed all the comments that I came that had been given to me, shared them with staff and I said to them, I think from what I've heard there's some things that we need to focus on and they were um, uh, clarity we need to actually understand what we are about as an organization and how we're different from the public libraries in Brisbane. We need to focus on our collections. That is the strength of this organisation. And we need to be thinking about our collection strength. Collaborate, we need to be working with each other. And we need to be communicating with each other. And then um, the clients. The clients need to sit at the centre of what we're doing. So we talked about those as being our five Cs. And it was something that the staff could um, understand. And it was really because I packaged it back to them in what they had already told me. And so we then had different working groups on the five Cs and we also then developed this concept of being one library. And uh, and our, um, our comms team came up with the one library idea, but it's something that everyone could understand, that we really all needed to be working together. And I knew it was working when I'd be at a meeting and people would say back to me, but we need to take a one library approach. So I guess... Um, When you have the teams telling you back what you've been talking about, I mean, that was a sign of success. But I think it was really breaking it down and – building up our whole strategic approach for that back in 2016-17 um, around what we were going to focus on it was based on what I'd been listening to and also demonstrated that I had been listening to what they'd been saying as well. Does that all make sense?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, you know, for what I've taken from that is that the strategy you develop is, is one that's developed by your team. It's almost like you're leading their ideas rather than telling. You're putting it all together, you're, the, you're responsible for putting it all together in the end.
2: Yeah. I think there's times, though, when I've had to be, uh, I guess, more specific around the outcome. And the example that I think of is um, particularly 2020, COVID has overtaken all, everything that we do. And we closed the library on the 25th of March and everyone was sent home. And I guess, you know, for an organisation that's been very focused on delivering services from this building in Southbank, It was a a whole big change for us. We had all of our workforce uh, remote and and we had to think about how we were going to deliver. And um, Easter came along, I think, about three weeks later and I was actually, you know, at home. I couldn't go anywhere. We were all in lockdown. And I started thinking about what were we going to do? We've got accountabilities to deliver services to Queenslanders, um, but we've also got this huge remote workforce. And I thought about it a lot over that weekend, and then I came back and I said, we've really got to focus on the digital, and we actually need to have a cohesive approach to how we're going to deliver our services. And I talked with my um, executive directors, so the executive team, and suggested that we actually move one of our uh, senior team into a role of director to digital delivery. So, digital delivery being the focus. But that person would work across the organisation and ensure that we had a cohesive approach to how we were delivering services. You know, and I had a list of dot points and things like that. So we identified somebody and I guess I'd given a broad direction of where we wanted to go. But when we appointed um, Margaret to that position of directed digital delivery, I said, so these are things that are in my mind. These are things I think we've got to address but you come back to me and tell me how we're going to actually do it and tell the executive team what we need to do to support you to do that. And um, so I guess I was quite specific in that case, but enabled uh, Margaret to actually go away and come up with her plan as to how she was going to do it. And I think in the six months since we've done that, we um, we have certainly changed the way we do things and that will continue beyond um this COVID pandemic. Uh, We've got this huge focus on digital delivery. We've always been doing things digital, as you said at the introduction, where State Library is recognised for digital innovation, but we've actually moved up a notch in what we're doing. And because of that digital delivery, we were actually able to support learning from home, but also develop new audiences and increase uh, awareness of our collections and services. And we actually still hit all of our uh, major performance measures for the year, even though we uh, were in lockdown. And that's continuing now. And um, at the end of the first quarter, our uh, visits to our websites are already 25% up on last year. So in the first three months of this financial year. So I think it's, you know, just having that broad direction at the beginning, but then enabling people to move on and deliver on that has been quite successful. And in a way, you, you know, you reflect and you think, oh, my God, it took a COVID for us to actually to get this focus. Um, And I think because we've been so focused on bringing people to the building, we actually have been able to move and have that significant focus on digital and getting, but also getting everyone across the organisation working together to deliver on that.
0: That sounds a lot like strategy under pressure to me, Vicky.
2: (laughs) Well, there was a bit of pressure, I can tell you.
0: (laughs) Nothing is typical anymore after COVID. But can you tell me before COVID, if we can think back to then, what did a typical day look like for you as a senior leader?
2: I think one of the things is it's always different. And and one of the things that um, I've learned is you really need to be flexible. So when I was working at the State Library of New South Wales, um, I had the opportunity to act as the state librarian there. And one of the first learnings I had is that I needed to have um, a you know, a two-hour gap in my day to deal with whatever emerged that day, Um, because you just don't know what's going to happen, but you need to have that flexibility to respond to whatever does happen. And and I think you also, in a typical day, can be talking with a range of stakeholders from staff to donors to other organisations as well. And a lot of it, as I said earlier, is around um, communication and sharing uh, what you're doing and what you plan to be doing as well.
0: What sort of specific capabilities and mindsets um, does it take to do that sort of work at a senior level?
2: Well, I I think you need to be committed to what you're doing. I think that will come through in, in how you're operating is if you're not committed. And I think it's about creating some level of excitement around the work that you're doing. But I think it's also you need to be um, consistent. People need to uh, know if they're going to ask a question, what the likely response is going to be. So they don't want someone who's going to be chopping and changing how they're going to respond to different situations. So I guess that consistency is quite important as well. You also need to be a really good listener. And listening at all levels and listening to your staff but also to your stakeholders and your clients as well. And I guess it's also about building a team with you as well and um, obviously I don't do everything in this organisation but you need to have confidence in the team and their abilities and trust them to get on to do the work that they want to do and need to do. So I think it's also about being clear about your expectations. People don't want wishy-washy responses or, you know, that that people actually do seek out direction and clarity. And I guess that was one of the first things that I noticed in 2016. um, And I reflected on, uh, I spoke with someone who uh, was involved in recruitment and I said what really came to me in those first few months is people really wanted someone to tell them what to do. And I think that's at a fairly strategic level. They really were seeking someone who could give a direction to what was where we were going. And I think that's something that you need to have that capability to be able to do and, and, um, and make sure that, that enables your organisation to be successful.
0: What impact do you think your personal leadership style has on the library and your strategy and vision?
2: Well, I think as you... You know, I've already talked about. I enjoy planning, and uh, and I think that that actually comes through in the work that we do. Um, I also enjoy talking about what we do, so I think communication is is important, but also involving people in how we get there. So the brainstorming, developing the narrative, um, and those sorts of things as well. And um, and I think it's about being with other people and working with other people is important and being visible and you you need to be visible to everybody uh, when you're in, in a, such a situation. So I think it's, it's that relationship building at all levels across the organisation, the communication, building some excitement around the work that you're doing and it being quite apparent that you actually enjoy the job you're doing. Hopefully that comes through in, in my style as well. I think people also recognise that I am a planner and, um, and I like to know and have a plan as to where we're going. And so that comes through in the work that we do. So um, when I arrived in 2016, we didn't have a plan for what our next exhibition would be. And I think that creates some uncertainty for staff um, and some anxiety. And so now we've put in place uh, different uh, frameworks and planning strategies that so we actually have an exhibitions plan that takes us two to three years out. And I think that's an example of that focus on planning and how it relates to the everyday, because people are now working on exhibitions in 2023 that we will deliver in 23. So that actually impacts on everyone's job. Um, so I think that my focus, because I am such a planner and and having that um, view to the future, I think that influences the organisation as well. And that's you know that's a personal characteristic of me.
0: That personal characteristic of planning must have been seriously affected by the COVID outbreak <laughs> how did that context change your leadership style
2: well i guess in a way um uh, and it's, it's not due to me we when COVID hit we actually um we had a pandemic plan uh you know not many people had a pandemic plan i don't think but we had one um, and we also had a you know our crisis management team as well so we actually had the frameworks but um, of course, it's the COVID is, isn't is anything that we um, have experienced before. So I guess we had to have, we formed different groups and lead, and the leadership group came together and we actually sat down every day and had meetings every day and we've continued that in different forms for the last six months. So actually bringing people together, talking about how we're going to resolve it, but also getting the expertise of the different people in the room as to how we solve that problem. So fairly early, we developed... Um, or formed a COVID-19 planning group, which is the senior management team and other key people across the organisation. We met every day day, um, in those initial days for 30 minutes. Uh, We've now dropped it back to three or two times a week. So, but I think it was actually bringing people together and talking about it and working out how we were going to tackle this situation. Because being such a a big public institution as well, we've had to develop COVID safe site plans, work out how we're going to bring people back into the building uh, and fit within the Queensland Health requirements as well. So, it's you know, a lot of expertise and knowledge has gone into that as well. Um, and, of course, the communication has been important. We've uh, focused on how we communicate and connect with our staff during that time. The plans, I guess, just gave us the framework, but then we had to kick in with the communication and the connecting uh, with people as well.
0: So you're still a planner even in the time of COVID, it's just that those plans became something that were changing every day and and getting remade every day?
2: Well, I guess you build on what you learn as you go. Um, And I guess it's also um, one of the great things that's come out of COVID is the relationships that we've built with our peers. So. I have regular phone calls with the other state librarians and the national librarian, and we, we hear how we're each responding to those to the situation, and that helps inform the decisions you make. But I also have um, regular meetings with the CEOs in the cultural centre, so uh, the art gallery, the museum, and QPAC. And so working together, we've actually built um, how we respond to this situation as well. And I think I'm a really big believer in networking, and, and leveraging those your networks to work through the different problems and, and opportunities that you have. So I think that has been a really um, a great outcome of COVID is a really a stronger relationship with the CEOs at my peer level as well.
0: How does that relationship with those CEOs have different businesses but in the same sort of cultural atmosphere change uh, or affect what you're doing for the State Library?
2: Um, well, we, we do work together and I think we share our experiences and that can influence how we, um, we deliver our services. But also we look for opportunities as to how we can do things together. I mean, we, we all have um, specific responsibilities under our individual acts, but there's a lot of overlap and particularly overlap in our audiences as well. So we know that people who go to the Art Gallery or GOMA are likely to also come to State Library of Queensland. So I think we, we share a lot of experiences and, and information. Um, you know, It's all about what you know sometimes and, uh, and that has been really helpful. But also when you're the CEO, you don't always have a lot of people you can talk to and talk through the issues that you have. And so I've found that group to be really useful to talk through different problems that I have that don't really necessarily have anything to do with COVID, but they've got that similar background and experience so they can they share the experiences that you're having.
0: When you have a normal amount of time to think about the strategy of the library when there isn't uh, COVID, how does that strategic thinking play out?
2: Well, one of the projects that I'm working on at the moment is a project that was initiated before COVID, and and I guess that's just as well because otherwise we probably wouldn't have proceeded with it. So this um, the State Library of Queensland was... Um, part of the Millennium Arts Project back in the early 2000s and opened in 2006. So we've been open for about 14 years. And I think the building, if you've ever been to the State Library of Queensland, everyone says it's a beautiful building. Uh, We we won the national award the year it was built. But I'm also very conscious that it was uh, conceived back in the early 2000s. It's nearly 20 years ago. And so I went to the library board last year and I said, I think we need to develop a plan as to how we develop this building over the next five to 10 years because the building can influence how we deliver our services. Obviously, the strategic plan and our vision and different documents like that give the direction, but the building is actually a key enabler of what we do. So um, I received their endorsement. So in January, we actually... uh, embarked on a process to develop a uh, we've called it a um, space optimization strategy and to think about how we will deliver services from this building over the next five to ten years so it actually creates a roadmap and I guess it was good to go through that process we can we reflect on what's working well in our service delivery now uh, what we need to improve and maybe what we need to stop so by working with an, the architects we've actually developed a roadmap for what we will do as opportunities arise over the next five to 10 years to change things. So, for instance, one of the spaces that we have in the library is The Corner, which is a space for under-eights. So we, and I remember back in the early 2000s, we were the first state library to intentionally bring young children and their families into a state library. It's proved really successful. Um, And so, in this strategy that we've developed, we're actually looking at how we actually provide increased space and services to deliver the corner to families um, in the future. So, and I guess the plan that we've developed, we won't deliver in one. It's an incremental approach and and I think now um, that's been a good approach because funding will be so tight over the next five years. We've actually got a plan now in our back pocket as different opportunities come up that we can actually enable as well. So um, I guess that's when I had time to think about things. Um, That was that one activity that we put in place. But it it really is taking a long-term view. Um, And I guess also as a CEO, you know that you're not always going to be around to enact everything as well. Um, so this plan goes for five to ten years, which you know I will probably be long gone uh, in that time frame. But you've you've actually got to spend the time to do the thinking upfront as well.
0: So you're doing a lot of long term thinking for the future, and you, you're trying to consider how things might change, population sizes, the the amount of people coming to the state library. And also how that state library might be used. You were talking about, you know, more children coming in, that that's going to be a big change for the state library if that expands, that space expands. So so really the difference between the sort of short-term strategy and the long-term strategy is you're, pl- you're planning for a field you, you're not quite sure of. You're sort of predicting what might occur.
2: That's right. But I guess we also... You know, we benchmark and we know what's happening in libraries, museums and galleries across the world. And I guess when we're looking at libraries, planning a future for libraries, we just don't consider libraries. We look at other cultural institutions as well. And I know when we did the planning for this building, we actually particularly looked at museums and art galleries um, in Northern Europe and, and, and Northern um the United States and Europe as well. So I think you've got to have a broad um, benchmarking um, to be thinking about things as well.
1: Can I ask Vicky, um, out, outside of um, having a strategic plan, so you know, planning something and, and devising that plan and enacting that plan, how do you think a leader thinks and acts strategically yeah, outside of that kind of um, adherence to a plan, just in a, in a more general sense?
2: Well, I think it's it's. I guess you're we responding to different situations. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I probably have focused on the strategic plan, but it's not like everything I do every day is. You know, I'm not carrying the strategic plan around. Um, I think it's it's actually thinking about why you're doing things and and where where you want to be, but also considering the the other input that you're getting as well. No, I'm probably not answering the question well. <laughs>
1: that that's exactly what I was what I was looking for, because we we do talk a lot in the in the course materials about you know defining what strategic thinking is. And I think it is quite easy to to start talking about your strategic plan. I suppose I was trying to get at you know as a leader, just what does it mean to to think in that way. Outside of you know trying to meet a specific objective, so so yeah, you you are getting at that. That's that's what I was what I was, what I was trying to get at. Yeah.
2: Well, I think too, it's you know I guess you, you're continuously thinking and assessing things and and looking at what is successful and what's not. And and I guess part of it's also being willing to stop things and and pull pull things back when they're not working. So I know that we recently you know we did something where we. We mobilised one of our staff to start doing uh, reviews of films and things like that, and it it didn't get the take-up, so we, you know, we walked away from that idea. But you, you, you're continuously assessing and, and just seeing, is it actually delivering what you want, and is it meeting the needs of the clients or the stakeholders, that sort of thing as well?
0: One of the big takeaways, Vicky, for me listening to this was the way that you networked. I think no one else has really talked about that so much yet. I mean, it has been mentioned a little bit, but very specifically, you mentioned it the networking between different organizations within the South Bank cultural precinct and, and realizing how you, you have a, um, a bunch of similar sort of users of all of those th- three different products. You know, the, the fact that you're changing or, or altering, taking on what they're doing and, and thinking, well, I was you know going to do A, but if I just change it slightly, that'll fit in better with what they're doing as well. And I think that's really important to think about how students could do that themselves. What would you say to a student who's in a kind of middle management role and wants to lead one day, how could they do networking generally within any organisation? And how can that benefit them to become a leader?
2: Well, I—I um, I mean, I used to always encourage staff to, you know, be involved in the profession, and um, you know, particularly with the teams that I have here, be involved in the professional association, and um, because you actually have an opportunity to engage with people outside your own organisation as well. I've been very active in my professional associations, both within with Queensland, Australia, and internationally, and I think that actually enables you to build some good relationships outside of your workplace, but also in it um, it makes you more aware of other situations. And so I do encourage people to, under, you know, take up those opportunities. Um, and because I remember when I was um, quite, uh, quite a lot younger and in junior positions, I, um, I, I joined the Queensland branch of the Library Association. So I actually had the opportunity to actually be meeting with university librarians and, and heads of public libraries and, Engage with them and build those relationships at that level, um, and that actually puts you in good good position later on as well. Probably haven't answered your question though,
0: Daniel. No, I think you've <laughs> answered it exactly. That that the idea of networking from uh, an early stage of your career is going to really help you because it's part it's part of the the network of people that you want to be working in and for and with that's going to get you there. You don't get there in a vacuum. So, so networking is extremely important at, at all levels,
2: and like this morning, I had um, uh, I had breakfast with um, someone from QUT. I used to work at QUT, and I think just meeting with her, I meet with her every month, and we've got some overlap in the work that we do. But also, we have we each connect each other with other people who can help us to do our work as well. And it's it's mutually beneficial to everybody because we're all got different things we need to achieve, and it's actually making those connections that actually enables us. To deliver some of the things that we do, so um, I, I think it's really important. And I think one of the other things is because I have, um, you know, I think everyone recognises I've moved around a lot in my career, um, so I've got lots of um, lots of people I can contact when different issues arise because, you know, of those fields, So you know, and um, and I, you know, really like to leverage um, and and share what we learn as well. So we, you know, I think one of the things that people often comment on is how collaborative libraries are. We share what we learn and we share our experiences and, uh, and we're, we're quite open to that as well.
0: And people are so often quite happy to share um, when you do get in touch. Uh, and that's really the amazing thing about networking. Once you put yourself out there, you find it's very, it's very easy. And
2: that's the thing. You, you, it's mutually beneficial. You, you know, you're not, um, you're not exploiting them. It, it, everyone is is winning from that, from that situation.
0: Vicky, thank you very much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you, thank you. Been good to chat. I should end by saying which is enjoy the day.
0: Thank you very much, Vicky. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.